Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. All right. Good morning, everyone. It's good to have you all here together this morning. This is the last time I'm preaching for the year. Don't look so happy. The New Year's only just around the corner. <laughs> Welcome to you as well. You're new with us, your first time. Welcome, lovely to have you. Nice to see you. The message I want to bring this morning really is, you could call this a family powwow, an Alpha and Omega Christian family powwow. You know, we used to have them in our home when I was growing up. We'd call them a family powwow. When family business needed to be discussed, we would call it a powwow. If you don't know what a powwow is, it's the Indian word for a meeting. Uh, a general assembly to discuss important matters. And this message this morning has been born out of a season of much prayer and waiting on God by the whole financial board concerning the financial position of our spiritual family. And the principles I'm going to share with you this morning have to do with believing God for provision. They apply to us as a spiritual family, and so we're going to do some practical things here this morning concerning our spiritual family, but also these principles apply to you in your own personal life. And if you learn some things through this message today, they will, they will carry you a long way in learning how do we trust God for provision, how do we trust God to meet us at our point of need. And I want to be very clear up front. This morning, I'm not talking about the need for salvation or the need for healing or the need for breakthrough or, the, or any other kind of need. We are talking about finances today. We're talking about money. Amen? Did you know that the Bible has a lot to say about money? Did you know that Jesus spoke more about money than any other subject? Why? Not because money is the most important thing but because money has such a way of corrupting our hearts. And, it, and how we manage and view and see and work with money says an awful lot about us. Those of you who attended our AGM a few months back will remember that we, what that, you know, as we looked at the financial figures, what we receive in, our, in terms of tithes and offerings on a monthly basis is not and has not for some time been enough to cover the costs of this beautiful premises and the staff and what it takes to run this place. As a result, the international arm of our ministry has been stepping in. They've been supporting us financially, making up that difference. So we're not in a situation where we are going into debt, where we are worried about keeping the lights on. But nonetheless, we do need to look to the Lord and bring our own spiritual family into the place where it is self-sustaining. Amen? Where we are not dependent on somebody else to meet our needs but where the Lord, through the faithful giving and receiving of His people, through the growth of the body and the generosity of the body, is able to not just sustain itself, but get to the place where it can be a blessing to others, a greater blessing, and begin to send out. As a financial board, we resolved some time ago to follow the scriptural pattern of faith upon which this very ministry was founded. Hebrews 10.38 says, The just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. The thrust of this ministry, of this spiritual family, from its inception was born from faith. Pastor Andreas received a word from the Lord to come down to South Africa to plant and to start a spiritual family. And he did so, giving up the livelihood and the, 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 the relative financial security that a business brings giving that up to come down at the word of the Lord to come and establish a spiritual family. A few years later, with the group that he had at the time, they believed God for a premises, for a building of their own. And you are sitting today in the product of that promise and of that faith. This beautiful building, which we have and get to use Sunday by Sunday, without debt, it's a debt-free building because God provided the funds for this building through the faith of His people. They sowed, believing God, for supernatural provision, and you are sitting in it right now. I'm sure you've all heard Pastor Andreas' testimony, getting the call from somebody sitting on a beach on a holiday in Portugal, considering uh, making a business investment somewhere, and the Lord says to him, no, all that money you wanted to invest in a new building for yourself, I want you to give that to Pastor Andreas Kiriakou. He's believing me for a building. 
And that's how this building got put up, supernaturally, by faith. The ethos of this ministry has always been, we do not want to go and borrow money. Is it a sin? No. But we have decided that the just shall live by faith. And this is who we, it's part of our DNA as a spiritual family, to believe God, to trust Him, to put into practice the principles that He gives us, and to trust Him and believe His Word and lean on Him in these areas. We are not of those who want to turn back. We are of those whom God, on whom God's pleasure rests and in whom He delights. And it was, is within this pattern of faith that we want to move forward. And there are principles at play here. James tells us that faith without works is dead. So in other words, we need to understand that faith, when we're talking about finances, as we are this morning, is not just a thing where I ask God to meet my needs and just hope that He will. First of all, I need a promise from Him that says He will. And there are many of those in Scripture. My God shall supply all my needs according to His riches and glory. And there are many. I'm not going to go into that this morning. But there are also things in believing God for finances that are required of you and I. And if we are going to trust God to provide for us as a spiritual family, the question is, what's that going to look like? How are we going to believe God to provide for us? What is required of us? And what promises or what part of His Word are we standing on? And this really is the principle that I want to talk to you about today. And then... I will tell you what we will be doing about it as a spiritual family so that as one united spiritual family, we can stand together in faith, trusting God and trusting in His Word. Folks, the the financial obligation or burden of any spiritual family rests on all of the members. As if you go and read Ephesians 4, if you go and read 1 Corinthians 12, when they talk about the body, the whole idea is that as each one does his share, Walking in obedience to the Lord, according to the measure of grace that He has given to them, so the body is built up and strengthened by what every joint supplies. Amen? All of us carry the responsibility of the future of the spiritual family upon our shoulders. Did you get that? Every part of that responsibility, the financial, the spiritual, the practical, the the ministerial, the service, all of these things doesn't rest on a few selected people. It rests on the body. We are kings and priests. We've been speaking about that of late. And so as a spiritual family, today I want to put a principle to work. We find this principle in Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. And it says this, Again I say to you, That if two believers on earth agree, that is, are of one mind, are in harmony about anything they ask within the will of God, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. That's the amplified version of that verse. And so, as I speak to you this morning, what I'm bringing to you is a vision. What I'm bringing to you is a strategy, a principle God from God's Word And I'm sharing, we're going to spend about half an hour talking about this, so that by the end we can be of one heart and of one mind. We can put our faith together according to the Word of God and trust Him to come through for us and look to Him to make the difference. Amen? So really what I'm saying to you this morning is your buy-in is essential. And if you don't want to buy-in, that's fine. Don't pretend. We don't want to walk with someone who doesn't want to walk who doesn't want to come along, but I know your hearts. You are a faithful people, and we have journeyed a long way together. So, when we read Scripture, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we see a principle that is repeated again and again and again, and this principle is all about if you have a need, to put it colloquially, if you have a need, you sow a seed. If there is something you are desiring from God, what is it? that you are going to give him to work with. And it's an interesting principle. We see how it plays itself out, as I said, again and again and again. You see, when we come to God and we're asking him to bless something or to give us or to to provide for us, it's amazing how many times when we read it in Scripture that people have a need, they come to God, say, can you meet this need? God asks a question. 
He says, what have you got? What can you give me to work with? Now, we know that God can make anything appear out of nothing. He spoke and nothing became something. The worlds were created just by the words of his mouth. But there is something that God wants to do in every one of our hearts, individually as well as corporately and collectively, with him. And that's the idea of co-laboring with him. We often have the mentality that God must do his thing and, you know, because he's God and he gave the promise. But we miss out the principle that God desires to work in this world, in your life, and through your life with you, with what he has given you, your gifts, your talents, the revelations that you have and walk in, as well as with your substance. So, for example, when I am praying for somebody to receive salvation, as we do week by week for those in our basket, God is saying, what are you going to do about it? Will you give me something to work with? Are you prepared to go and share the message with that person? When we pray to God, Lord, would you heal? He says, have you got some oil? I want you to go and I want you to anoint that person with oil. God doesn't just take a demand upon us and take full responsibility. He expects something from you and I. And we're going to look through Scripture at this principle playing itself out over and over again. So we're going to read quite a, quite a bit of Scripture this morning because I want to drive this point home. I want us to realize and understand how this works. God bless you. Some people are just so needy of blessings. 1 Kings 17, verse eight, from verse 18 to 16, tells us the story of the prophet Elijah. When he himself was in need of food, and so what did God do? He sent him to a very wealthy, noble woman to provide for him from her abundance. Do you remember that story? No, because that's not there in the Bible. That's how we think God would do it, isn't it? Let's read how God does it. And the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So Elijah is by the brook. The brook is dried up. The ravens are no longer bringing meat. He says, right, you want more provision? you got to go. I'm expecting something from you. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks and asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called her, said, Bring me a bite of bread, too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of a jug. I was gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my sons and I will die. God, hang on, what are you up to here? Elijah has a need, so God sends him to meet up with a widow who is just as needy as he is, if not more so. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. And I want to say to you this morning, don't be afraid. Don't be worried. Don't be concerned concerning the situation you are in. Because as long as God is about, as long as God is involved, as long as his word is speaking into that situation and bringing wisdom and direction and grace... Amazing things can happen. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. You see, the, uh, the, the prophet understood something here. It would be wrong of us to say, what an arrogant man. This woman's about to die, and he's saying, yeah, but just before you do, can you just make something for me, please? He understood this principle we're trying to convey today. That there is something that he is trying to draw from this woman that will unlock the miraculous, sudden provision of God. Go ahead and do just as you said, but make some for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, there will always be flour and oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord promised through Elijah. Incredible. And so we see a situation where both Elijah and the widow were in need. Both received an instruction from God of something they had to do to have that need met. Now, who met the need? 
God met the need. Amen? But did He just meet it as they were comfortable doing nothing, expecting something to happen? No. God placed a demand on them. He said to Elijah, you are going to have to relocate, and you're going to have to go to this place. And he said to the widow, I want you to give from the little that you have. And as a result, we see a miracle taking place. We see a very similar story with Elijah's spiritual son, Elisha. He was also sent by God to a widow. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1-7. to One day, the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. In those days, if you had a debt that you could not pay, they would take your sons as slaves and use the wages that they would have paid to them to offset the debt. And they would only be free again once the full debt was paid. And so here came the creditor and said, we're going to take your sons. What can I do to help you, Elisha asked. And then he asked this incredible question. Tell me, can you read it with me? What do you, you not, you not, you not, you not doing it with me. I'm just asking for something very small here. Let's try again. Tell me, what do you have in the house? What do you have in the house? And we see this big question again. What have you got? Elijah asks, what have you got? I just got some flour and oil. He says to his woman, what have you got? What can you give me to work with? She's coming to him saying, I have this need. Listen, we do this in the workplace as well. Anybody who's a manager has those people who come into your office and say, hey, we've got this problem. And that's all they say. To which you say, all right, what are you going to do about it? What are the solutions that are available? What do you think should happen in this situation? How do you feel? Give me something to work with. This is broken. Have you gotten quotes? You want me to pay for something to be fixed? You haven't even gotten the quotes. How much is it going to cost? Do you understand? It's a simple principle. And Elijah says to her, what have you got? And she goes on to say, nothing at all. Nux, mahala, except a flask of oil. So in other words, she considered what she had as insignificant. Amen? Do you get that? She considered what she had as insignificant. Was it? Well, in the natural, it was. But in the eyes of the Lord and in the eyes of the prophet, it was something to work with. So Elijah said, Borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So she did, as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her. She filled one after another, and soon every container was full to the brim. She said, bring me another jar. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, Now, sell the olive oil and pay your debts, and you and your family, or you and your sons, can live on what's left over. And so we see that from this miraculous intervention of God in this situation, the woman was required to do something. She went out and had to borrow jars, not just a few. She had to obediently pour the oil into the jars, and then she had to go and smose this oil. Smose, yeah, she became a smose. You know what a smose is? Someone who sells things on the side. She had a little side hustle in the oil business. And she began selling this oil. And listen, she not only got enough to pay off her debts and get her out of her immediate need, her and her sons had enough to live off. But something was required of her. Now that you might say this is the Old Testament, let's look at Jesus himself in the New Testament. The very first miracle of Jesus at the wedding feast. John chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, They have no more wine. 
That whole thing I was just telling you about earlier on, someone comes to you and all they give you is the problem, and you say, you say what Jesus said. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. So there was more at play here than just this miracle, but I don't want to go into that today. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. And there we have the instruction. There we have the demand that is being placed. Standing nearby were six water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. So there was a big, big pots. A gallon is about five liters. So 80-liter pots, big, heavy pots. They went to go and fill these pots up. And Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. So Jesus, what was he saying? Give me something to work with. Okay, I'll sort the situation out. Give me something to work with. And he required two things from them. Number one, water. And number two, obedience. When the jars had been filled, he said, Now dip some, out, tip some, uh, dip some out, take it to the master of the ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. He had the water, there was the obedience. And when the master of the ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then, when everyone has drunk, has had a lot to drink, he brings the less expensive wine, but you have kept the best until now. And this is the story of this marvelous provision of the man who turns water into wine. There's no wonder he had a huge following, guys. There's another example of Jesus providing something miraculously. And you understand that all I'm doing with you this morning is give you example after example after example. Because this is not sort of a thing that happened once or twice. This is a principle that plays itself out again and again. Jesus with the temple tax. Matthew 17, 24 to 27. On their arrival in Capernaum, the collectors of the temple tax came to Peter and asked him, doesn't your teacher pay a temple tax? Yes, he does, Peter replied. And then he went into the house. But before he had a chance to speak, Jesus asked him, what do you think, Peter? Do kings tax their own people? or the people they have conquered. They tax the people they have conquered, people replied. Well, Jesus said, the citizens are free. In other words, they're free from having to pay a tax. You don't pay, when you're a child in the house, you don't pay rent. Are you paying rent, Megs? Not yet. Good girl. Well done, Mark and Corinna. One day when you're earning money, maybe your dad will change his mind. But when you have a child in the house, Shem Siobhan, you're feeling hard done by. How much rent did you pay when you were six and seven years old? However, that's not the point we're talking about this morning. Verse 27. However, we don't want to offend them, Jesus says. So go down to the lake, throw in a line, open the mouth of the first fish you catch, and you will find a large silver coin. Take it and pay the tax for both of us. So here Jesus is saying, we've got a need. What are we going to do about it, Peter? Clearly, they had no cash on them. And so Jesus asks Peter to do something. Now, we also need to put this into context. Peter was a fisherman. He knew what he was doing. But Peter used to fish with nets. He used to catch many fish at a time. He never went down and just threw in one little line. He was probably very worried that everybody else around him would be laughing at him, going, Peter, hey, how many are you going to catch today, bud? You're going to pay the bulls with this, with that, with that one hook today. But he was only after one fish. And what was required of him? To go and be obedient, to go and catch that one fish, to take the coin, and to go and pay the tax for both Jesus and himself. Again, one of the most favorite stories, and this will be the last story we look at, and we unpack the principle a little bit more, when Jesus feeds the 5,000. Mark chapter 6, 35 to 44. When the day was now far spent... His disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and already the hour is late. Send them, in other words, this mega crowd away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? A denarii was effectively... A day's wage. 
they would have needed six and a half months' worth of pay in order to buy bread, just, just bread for this crowd. But he said to them, what did he say? What have you got? How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And they didn't know. See, they had to go and do some evaluation. Now, sometimes, folks, this is a really good point to make here. When you believe in God for some, something, and God is asking you the question, what do you have? Sometimes you need to go and take stock. Sometimes God is looking for a gift that you have that you are not using. Sometimes God is looking for resources that you have stowed away. Or he's looking for something that is of value that you have, but that you are keeping very close to your heart or locked away very tightly. Every situation will have a unique seed that God requires. And sometimes it's good for us to go look and say, what is it that I actually have? What is it that God can use? And so here we see the big question, what have you got? And when they found out, they said, we have five loaves and we have two fish. And so Jesus commanded them to all sit down in groups on the, grass, on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks, in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. And so they all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men, not to mention women and children. Interesting thing happens here. Jesus breaks the bread. He gives it to the disciple and the disciples. And they become participators in this multiplication miracle. They are breaking bread to people and giving fish to people. And after the whole thing, I love the part where it says, and they gathered up 12 baskets full of fragments. For me, the Bible doesn't say this, but me, here's what I'm thinking. Each disciple has a basket. So each one gets to walk around and pick up the leftovers. And as they're putting it into the baskets, think to themselves, I've got this whole basket of leftovers that came from five loaves and two fish. Five loaves, two fish, feeding over 5,000 people. And here we're sitting with leftovers. Just to drive home the point of God's incredible provision when we are willing to put what we have into His hands. Here's the principle. When we are willing to entrust what we have into the hands of Jesus, He is able to multiply it. Here is the way Jesus articulated the principle. These are His own words. Luke 6, 37 to 38. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be Forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. This is Jesus himself saying this is how it works. If you give, I will make sure you receive in return not just what you have sown, But pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your bosom. There is not a farmer who sows a seed that does not expect a multiplied harvest. Amen? Nobody plants an apple tree expecting an apple. He plants an orchard of apple trees expecting hundreds of apples, year after year. Now, it's important when we read these verses that we do so holistically. This is a promise from God, but it's not a promise that we can just pick and choose the little bits and parts out of this portion of Scripture that we like and ignore the rest. These verses go together, and what they really address is an attitude of heart. We can't think that God will bless our giving while we walk in unforgiveness or judgment towards other people. We can't just take, I'm going to give and God will bless me, and better bless me more than He blesses so-and-so. Forget it, because this flows and and reveals an attitude of generosity. First and foremost, a generosity of mercy. Being willing to walk in mercy with those around us. Willing to put up with their weaknesses 
and love them anyway, unconditionally, just as Christ loves us. Not to judge them or to put them down or to write them off for it, but to love them in spite of their weaknesses. To forgive them when they mess up and when they hurt you. To let it go. And to live with an open heart as well in terms of generosity. So we see this principle is bigger than just the money. Do you understand? But Jesus also addresses the principle of generosity that leads to a harvest. The Apostle Paul articulates the same principle. And these are the words he uses in his letter to the Corinthians, the second letter from chapter 9. And we're going to read from verse 6 to 11. Now remember this, Paul writes, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows generously, that blessings may come to others, will also reap generously and be blessed. Let's pause for a moment. This sounds like a very natural principle. It is a natural principle that mirrors a higher spiritual principle. If you sow A millie's worth of corn. You will get how many bushes? 200 maybe? I don't know how many kernels are on a single millie. But if you sow a thousand millie kernels, how many millies are you going to get? It's a proportionate game. Amen? Simple as that. And when we talk about measures here, we must remember the story of the widow and the mite. Where Jesus is standing in the temple where the people come to give their offerings. And some people are coming and giving huge offerings that make an awful lot of noise. Lots of coins falling into the big steel thing so everyone can see as it goes clang, clang, clickety, clang. They are looking and putting their chests out and saying, listen to how much I am giving. And Jesus says, this little widow who came and she gave two mites has given more than all of these other people. Not because the value of it was more in terms of monetary terms, but because her sacrifice was the greatest. Because these gave out of their abundance, but she gave all that she had, the very little that she had. So we need to understand the proportion that we use here in terms of, or the measure that we use by giving, is not necessarily measured by the amount. It's measured by the sacrifice. That's why David said, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. A sacrifice is not a sacrifice without sacrifice. Simple. And so here, when Paul is talking about this, he is talking about sacrificial giving. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but he who sows generously will reap generously. But then he goes on to say this, that no one may manipulate you, that people like me can't stand up here and, 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 and coerce and manipulate and put guilt on you to give or make false promises. If you give this now, you will have a harvest of so much. And so that's an abomination to God. But he does this. He says, let each one give thoughtfully and with purpose, just as he has decided in his heart Not grudgingly or of compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver and delights in the one whose heart is in his gift. And God is able to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing, come in abundance to you, so that you may always, under all circumstances, regardless of the need, have complete sufficiency in everything, being completely self-sufficient in him, and have an abundance For every good work and act of charity. Did you get that? So there's two parts to this. Like the widow with the oil. Number one, first, that you may have complete sufficiency in everything, being completely self-sufficient in Him. In other words, your needs are met. And have an abundance for every good work and act of charity. So God wants to not just meet our needs, but He He wants us to be the blessing conduit through which other people are blessed. As it is written, and forever remains written, he, the benevolent and generous person, scattered abroad, he gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed for sowing, that is, your resources, and increase the harvest of your righteousness 
which shows itself in active goodness, kindness, and love. So in other words, as we begin to engage with this principle, we, we are walking with our eyes waiting on God. In other words, our expectation is orientated towards Him, that He will, through the harvest that comes in, provide us more seed. So that from that seed, we are able to sow again and provide and, and see a harvest come in. So that from that harvest, we may give again. We may sow again. And in so doing, a simple farmer would tell you he would start with one field. And maybe two or three years' time, there'd be two fields. And then four fields. And then however many. I, don't, I am not a farmer. I do not understand how exactly the exponential growth works. But what I do want to say is this. It's important to recognize and differentiate between bread and seed. Seeds break your teeth and they don't taste very good. Don't eat your seed. The seed needs to be processed. There's bread that God provides, our daily bread, but He also provides our seed. If we eat our seed, we hamstring our tomorrow. Let me just put put this into an example of the tithe. I receive a blessing from God. I receive provision from Him. He says to me, 10% of that is mine, and I want you to give it to the place where you are being nourished spiritually. And as I receive a blessing, I convey a blessing. And that blessing works to create a new blessing coming into my life. And so the principle goes on. Now, when I say, oh, Michael, I can't afford to tithe, I say, you don't understand the principle of the tithe. You can't afford not to tithe. Because as soon as you withhold that, the principle by which your provision and the means by which your provision is going to come, that something that you're giving to God to work with is withheld, and so there's no harvest coming in because there's no seed in the ground. And this doesn't just apply to tithes. It's tithes and offerings and first fruits and however it is that God calls you to sow, whether it be with your resources, whether it be with your kindness or encouragement or whatever gift it is that He has given you, the more you give, it'll come back to you. That's why Jesus said, do not judge, you will not be judged. Forgive, you will be forgiven. Give generously and it will come back to you. Do you see how these principles, they're very simple, play themselves out But here's the key, when we engage with them, by faith. Let's finish out this portion of Scripture. You will be enriched, and this is the beautiful part, in every way so that you may be generous. And this generosity administered through us is producing thanksgiving to God from those who benefit. And so as you begin to give and you begin to sow, the thanksgiving that goes up to God not only is to your credit, but it brings glory to Him. Your giving ushers praise to the Lord from the hearts of other people for His provision. Isn't that beautiful? How powerful and wonderful is this principle? Now, let me bring this home. Concerning this principle and our financial situation as a spiritual family, we as a financial board have been looking for some time for what we felt was the right opportunity to sow a seed. Lord, we know this principle. We've gone through the Scriptures together. We've sat and we've had meetings. and We've talked about these things and prayed about them. And we said, Lord, we are looking for the right opportunity. You want to sow your seed into a fertile soil. Amen? You don't just want to scatter it. You want to be, you know that the Lord, what are you calling us to give? In other words, what is it you want from us to work with to meet the need that we have? And where do you want us to sow that seed? How do you want us to sow that seed? And I want to say to you, we've been waiting for quite a while. We've been waiting for months, in truth. I want you to know that we have set aside a seed from our compassionate fund. Every month, from that which we receive, a certain percentage is put into our compassionate fund. Not only that, there are also people who desire to give to the poor to meet the needs of those who are struggling financially, and they also contribute personally into the compassionate fund. And from that fund... We provide and we help those who have a need, generally in the form of grocery vouchers from time to time. For those who need and, and are struggling to make ends meet, we will provide a grocery voucher and say, here you go, go, go and, you know, and various things. It's, it's met various different needs in various different times over the years. It's not just for that, but it's really, that's what it's for. It's for have compassion on those who are in need. And recently I received a letter of appeal from a friend of mine in the ministry. And we believe that this is the opportunity we've been looking for. His name 
is, uh, and him and his wife are Sibuniso and Mbali, uh, Glamuka. They run a church up in KZN. They have, they're a part of Church of the Nations, have been a part of the, the Grapevine Cluster for many years with us uh, as a spiritual family. Also, um, they are with us now in the Harvest Cluster with underneath John Scott's and are aligned with them. And I want to read to you the letter that Pastor Siboniso has sent out to not everybody. So it's very interesting for me. He didn't send this out as a blanket thing, but to his friends within the ministry, of which I am one. And his letter reads as follows, an appeal for church ministry support. He said, I trust this letter finds you well amid concerning global challenges that threaten the stability of many aspects of human life. We hold on to the hope we profess in times of turmoil because God has promised not to leave us or forsake us. Due to economic challenges that reverberate across the globe, many have lost jobs and many businesses have been adversely affected and some are still struggling to recover since the peak of the recent pandemic. These unfortunate circumstances have resulted in drastic reduction in giving towards many ministries and churches. Our church, Christ-centered Missions Church based in Queensborough, Durban in South Africa, has not been immune to this hostile economic climate. Since September 2023, it has been a struggle to meet our monthly financial obligations as a church ministry. We recently planted a church in Pyramidsburg that still depends on us for its financial expenses. We also have very needy churches in rural Malawi that we help and support on a monthly basis. We run social welfare ministry to take care of the poor and the needy within our church family and in communities around us, including orphanages, old age homes, and youth centers. We're also on a local Christian radio station running a teaching program that tackles topical and eschatological issues, which has proven to be a blessing to many listeners. We also support a few missionaries who are part of Christian organizations outside our church ministry. Sadly, much of this ministry work might have to stop if we don't get the much-needed financial support from people like you since our church congregants are no longer able to carry this financial burden on their own. If Christ-centered missions church has been a blessing to you in any form, or you recognize its value and impact in advancing God's kingdom, kindly consider partnering with us financially and in prayer so that we can continue with the mandate God has given us. And they say a few things, other things. But what I'd like to do is just show you some pictures and give you an understanding. The first slide here is you can see that... Christ-centered Missions Church was founded in 2003. Here you see Sibonisu Numbali. Sibonisu is a big man and he's got a big burly voice. He speaks like this and it's no wonder he does well on the radio. Uh, next slide, you can see their first congregational experience in the Chestertown, Chesterton Townships. Done a church plant. By the way, both Sibonisu and Numbali are medical doctors. Uh, Sibonisu gave up practicing medicine to go full-time into the ministry. They worked both at, for a long time, but when the needs of the ministry grew, they Simonisa pulled out. Mbali pulled out for a season as well, but then she is now also working still full-time as a doctor to, to provide just even for their own personal needs. Uh, the next slide will show you from, uh, from a community hall. We purchased a church site in Queensborough, Durban. Uh, next one, we started working on the site in 2017, and you see the bulldozer there. Yeah, there, 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 you see? Yeah, Sibonis is also the bulldozer with the wheelbarrow there. Uh, next one, you see the temporary church structure they're currently using. If I'm not mistaken, they set up a tent, arrived one Sunday morning, and the whole tent was gone. So they had to buy another tent. You know, it's just the kinds of things that go on. Uh, that's the temporary church structure they're using, and the driveway to the church being done by one of the congregants and his friends. Um, members of the church... Leadership prayed for by John Scott and our apostolic oversight. You see the pictures there. Some work that they do for the kingdom. So every year, at least once a year, Sibonisu is part of a team of people that go. So if you look behind you over there, you'll see on the pinboard at the back three posters. The middle one is called Tianjani. Tianjani is the name of an orphanage in Malawi, the rural part of Malawi in the south, that is dependent upon the financial uh, contributions that are made from various uh, South African NGO organizations. Mbali and a team go up at least once a year. They go and vaccinate the children, get, do the medical checks in the community, and serve the community with their medical skills and, and, the thing, and obviously 
bring food, help them. They've helped them establish a, uh, a, a mill by which, where they can mill and, and make flour from, from the wheat and the corn and the mealies and those sorts of things. So they do missions in Malawi. This includes medical outreaches and equipping church leaders too. They do regular street evangelism, which is part of their DNA as a church. They reach out to youth in the local communities. They provided disaster relief when the floods hit Durban in 2022. Uh, they do some work uh, within a juvenile boys center in, in Pinetown. They also do career guidance talks in high, for high school learners. There you see the radio show that Sibonisi was talking about in his letter. And the next slide talks, it shows you the church plant that has been done in Peter Maritzburg. There are the senior pastors, uh, Lindani and Nombuso Mazibuko. Next you will see that they're part of Church of the Nations. I love the top left picture. You see the waiter doing a fantastic job at the table there. Serving tables. Praise God. And that's just one of our conferences. We used to go to a place called Montfleur and have conferences. Uh, and Siboniso and Bali will be there, and they're part of that. And then finally, yeah, working with, with, other, with other ministries, ministry partners, and working within the community to grow and teach them how to grow crops. So this is, a, and then this is what they're believing for. One day they're believing and trusting God for a church building. That's the, the, clearly the design and the picture of what they are, are believing the Lord for. And their mantra is winning souls and making disciples. So that's the opportunity that we've been waiting for and we've been praying to God for. And when that came across, thank you, Liam, when that came across our path, I brought it to the financial board and there was unanimous agreement. From the resources that we have set aside from our compassionate fund, we will be giving 5,000 rand for the next three months to this ministry. So that's what we've committed to at this point. No more, no less. And what is it that we are believing for? We are believing God, and this is where I want you to come in. We are believing God for a harvest that our giving and that our resources and our revenue of our local family as we do this will increase to the tune of 50,000 rand per month. There is a shortfall currently, which is not quite at that figure, praise God. But that's what we're going to need to be getting to, to comfortably cover our costs and to plan for going forward with resources to work with. You know, when you want to plan about going forward, you need something to work with. And this is just the start. So what we are going to do as a spiritual family, uh, Liam, would you please bring me an envelope? Have my pen, please, in the front pouch. We are going to be praying over this, and uh, we are going to be... Uh, making this offering to the spiritual family every month when it comes time, thank you, Liam, for us to give as a spiritual family, we're going to do this together. This is not just something that your pastor is doing on your behalf, but this is something that we, not just as a financial board, but as a spiritual family are going to gather around. We are believing God for a tenfold return. And he, what is it that we're basing it on? First of all, the principle I've been talking to you about all morning, but one scripture specifically. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And I want you to be praying according to this scripture for our spiritual family, for the seed that we are giving, as well as for Christ-centered missions church, Pastor Sibonisu and Mbali, over the next three months as we, as we join our faith together, not just for our provision or the provision just of our needs, but of their needs as well. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. And the way we are going to do this, church, is as follows. We are going to sow our seed. We are going to pray, asking God. And then according to the scripture, we are going to thank God for his provision. Matthew eighteen nineteen. If two of you agree concerning anything that you believe and pray according to the will of God, he will do what you have asked for. Amen? And so do we believe that as we pray that the Lord has provided or is providing that need? Yes. And as a result, we no longer, after today, we're not going to ask Him to provide that need. We are going to thank Him for His abundant provision that comes through and His grace that not only meets our need, but gives us an abundance for every good work. Amen? So, what I'm going to write on here is Christ-centered. Missions, church, 
offering, and I'm going to call the financial board up here with me, please. I want to ask you to stand with me, church. Why am I doing this? Why am I writing on an envelope? The money's not in here. We're going to be pressing a button. I'm writing on an envelope because it's good for us to have a point of contact, so to speak. Something that we can lay our hands on and say, we are standing together in faith according to this. So let's come all gather around here. And church, would you just stretch forth your hands with me as well as we pray over this offering. Father God, as your children and as a spiritual family, we come before you this morning. And we want to thank you, first of all, that you are a benevolent God, a good Father, and a faithful provider. Lord, you have always seen that our needs are met. Whether it comes from the north or the south or the east or the west, you have always been faithful to provide for us individually and well, as well as, in a, as a spiritual family. And so, Lord, we trust you. We want to say this morning to you, Father God, we trust you, we trust your word, we trust your principles, and we trust your promises. And so, Father, we want to thank you that as we have the seed in our hands, Lord God, we thank you for the privilege that it is to be people who can sow. Thank you that you have given us something that you can work with. We lift up to you this morning, Christ-centered Missions Church, Pastor Sibonisu and Mbali, their whole family, Lord God, and their spiritual family. And as they are going through a difficult time, Father, we want to thank you that we can send aid. We know that this may not be everything that they need, but I want to thank you, Lord God, that, and we pray that many others would heed this call and that the resources would flow in to meet their immediate need and to set them on a foot, Father God, where they can become self-sustaining and become a blessing. So we bless them this morning with this seed in the name of Jesus. We sow it into their lives, into their ministry, and we pray, Father God, that this would be a blessing well received, but also, Father, that they would be faithful with it and use it wisely. Lord, we attach our faith to this seed today. And as we release it and place it into another man's field, we pray for an abundant harvest, not just for us, but for Christ-centered Missions Church as well, in the mighty name of Jesus. We want to thank you, Jesus, that as we give, you give back to us. You see to it that, you, that provision comes. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured out into our bosom. You know that what, what we are believing for. You know all our needs. And so our confession this morning, Father God, is to say thank you. That you provide all our needs according to your riches in glory. That you are able to make all grace abound towards us. That we always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. And so we look to you now. We thank you for this in the mighty name of Jesus. And with one heart and one mind and in full agreement as a spiritual family, we say, Amen. And amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, Come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.